young voices, big issues. Join us as we explore the real power of Youth Rising. Youth Rising. The Youth Rising podcast by NCS. Hey, welcome to Youth Rising by NCS, where young people raise their voice to make a positive difference together. We're the podcast for young people, made by young people, and we're exploring the issues that matter the most to our generation. I'm Eleanor Ray, and in this week's episode, we're looking at how to be a better ally to the disabled community, and talk to Lucy Edwards, Tim Renko, and Isabella Sines. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. We're more aware than ever of the challenges posed by accessibility restrictions, whether it's a lack of lifts at train stations, the pressure to be a hero placed on people with disabilities, or the notion that disabled people need to be cured or fixed. Disability awareness is increasingly a priority in our generation. An increase in representation of the disabled community on mainstream TV, social media and YouTube is providing more of a platform for everyone to have their voices heard and to be celebrated. So we are ready for the big event of the night as far as Great Britain's concerned, certainly as far as Ellie Simmons is concerned. She goes in lane four. Actor Rose Aileen Ellis has started Strictly Come Dancing. She's the first deaf contestant to take part in the show. I've interviewed authors, chefs, just people Prime in the public eye. Public just yeah, that. the Prime Minister, Jeremy Corbyn. It's crazy. It's crazy. I can't do my job the same as everyone else if I don't have equal access to it. I'm blind and I'm on the way to Harley Street to get my eyebrows microbladed. You heard there a BBC clip of the 2012 Paralympics, Rose Ailing Ellis on BBC News, Nikki Lilly on GMTV and Lucy Edwards' YouTube channel, who we'll be hearing more from in just a minute. But there are lots of things we still need to talk about, like how can young people best support the disabled community? What is the benefit to using Makaton over British Sign Language? And how do we move forward with accessibility? Lottie spoke to journalist, influencer and Pantene UK ambassador Lucy Edwards. Known as Blind Not Broken on Instagram, she told us about being a blind content creator, losing her eyesight aged 17 and why she chose to vlog. Hey Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me Lottie. I'm so I'm grateful to be here with you. So I've got a couple of questions to ask and the first one is just to give kind of an overview of your blindness and how maybe you went blind for people who don't know. Basically, I have a really rare genetic condition called incontinenti pigmenti, which runs mm. down the female line of my genes. However, my mum or my late grandma aren't blind, but we all have IP on our one of our X chromosomes, getting techie and scientifical. And that just means for me personally that I lost the eyesight in my right eye at age 11 and the eyesight in my left eye at age 17. So I was really, really young. I know it was a long time ago, so you probably don't remember completely, but what was your kind of initial reaction to that? Honestly, it's one of the things that kind of 
gives me shivers still kind of remembering that time because the last thing I ever saw was the eye hospital ward at Moorfields Eye Hospital and I remember my mom and my auntie were with me and, and my auntie turned to me and said look this is not going to be the end of Lucy Edwards but I did feel like at that moment it was <laughs> it was the end of time because I just I felt so scared Lottie I felt so worried about being a teenager doing my A-levels I had to do three years at A-levels, not two, because I went blind in the middle of the two years. And then all my friends went off to university without me. So I did feel scared about my future. And because no one knows loads about sight loss and we're not taught it in our school about disability or anything like that, I, um, yeah, I was really scared about what kind of goals I would have now and who I would become and how to learn to pour a drink again. And yeah, really scary. How was that learning process? Do you find it quite frustrating? And what things maybe shocked you the most that you had to relearn again? Yeah, oh, it was so frustrating. Just to echo your words there, so, so frustrating. I think when I burnt my spaghetti bolognese, not a good moment. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I remember feeling so stripped of my independence and just feeling like walking out the front door was just not something I could do independently anymore because I felt so so scared I think one anecdote really is like when I was pouring a cup of tea I used something called a liquid level indicator which is basically like a tiny little device that I got from the Royal National Institute for the Blind um, on their website and you basically hook it over the side of your mug and it beeps when you kind of get your hot liquid up to the level and it beeps it beeps more rapid when you put in the milk so it has a little bit of space for that as well it's like two pronged but obviously pouring the water in the first place getting the kettle to the spout I was like oh what do I do I was really lucky that I had a mobility officer named Terry and she taught me how to use my cane and things but I think at the start I was a bit like I'm too cool for this like I don't want to be different I just I don't want to use my white cane like what even is that like I don't want a dog I don't need it and I was bumping (laughs) into everything and then I remember this one moment where my best friend Connie and also my you know I'm still really close friends with a group that I had at school and they got me through and I remember getting my white cane out and she just turned to me and she said Luce you have to do this now we can do it together so I walked up the corridor but I hid it for so long Lottie that I to be honest no one really knew in my my school that I did have any sort of visual impairment because I just hid it for so long which is awful to find out but then basically I started to become confident again when I got my guide dog and that was yeah amazing Oh, that is amazing. So your guide dog is called Molly and she's so cute, by the way, everyone. Um, (laughs) Can you explain a little bit about, you know, how she supports you? Yes, Miss Molly Moo is a little character. We qualified last year in August. So yeah, that means she and I, she's my second guide dog. I have to always have an honourable mention to my gorgeous Olga, aka Bogsy, Bogger all the you know um (laughs) she's amazing um so 
Olga really got me out of my depression and low mood from kind of, you know, navigating my life again with sight loss. And then Molly Moo, now I have even less vision. I don't really have any light perception anymore, Lottie, and that is as of about three years ago. So Molly Moo is kind of working with a new me in that she has to anticipate everything for me. Whereas Olga, I saw a few blurry blobs coming out my face so I could anticipate a little bit more for her. So it really is, you know, your guide dog is is really a mobility aid for the person and we learn each other as we go. Me and Molly, our journey is really quite new and they say that the working age of a guide dog from three till seven is where you get the best work from them because that's when they know you. They've had a year to kind of, you get given them at around two years old and they get about a year to kind of get to know you there really. But the, the training process with a guide dog, how she helps me is every day we kind of go around our local routes. She stands at curbs and I count the curbs to my destinations. She finds objectives like post boxes, lifts, doors, stairs, all for me. And um, that's how I navigate around by kind of finding those objectives um, like crossings and we stand at them and she lets me know that she's there and I give her a kibble at them. So she's just amazing. And the process of kind of getting a guide dog, it's like five weeks training, rigorous training. And then you have a little test at the end and me and Mole passed. Oh, what a smart dog. That is literally amazing. I love that. I wanted to know from you, I've seen a lot of stuff online about the general public, sometimes unintentionally, but distracting a guide dog, thinking they can go and stroke it like a normal dog you'd pet. Has this ever happened to you? And how would you want people to interact with you and your dog in public? Love that question. I think ultimately it's just yeah not to stroke her because if you distract Molly from her route she's obviously going to find that objective that I talked about you know they go from curb to curb to curb so if they're not looking at the next curb and she gets distracted on the route if she stops I'm like oh we've obviously stopped at the curb early but actually it could be someone distracting her and I've probably counted that curb wrong then to get to the next curb and then I'm like oh well where actually are we so if you distract a working dog you know are kind of route planning is out the window and then that becomes really scary as the blind person because I can't then navigate to my full potential and uh, yeah it's just really important not to distract a working dog because they've got a job and she has loads and loads of playtime loads of off harness play she lives with another doggy my Olga retired girl and she has so many treats so there's no need to stroke when they're on harness yeah exactly that's really really great advice so you have a hashtag which is blind not broken can you tell me a bit about what that means to you and kind of what is this hashtag basically I do. Blind Not Broken for me is the true way that I prove to people that I have full self-acceptance of myself. You know, at the start of my sight loss journey, I did believe that I was broken. I believed that I was the thing that needed to be fixed in this very sighted world. When actually, when I shifted my thinking to the social model of disability and I said to myself, no, actually, the world around me needs to fix up and I am not the thing that needs to be fixed. I'm amazing. I'm not broken. And um, here's my mobility aids and here's my guide dog and this is me. So if you don't like it, then you have to get in the bin. So that's that really. That's my hashtag. Yeah, get in the bin. I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, To finish off then, I have two more questions. Start with, I'd love to know, what is one thing you wish people knew about living with a disability? I think that we can just have such fulfilling lives. You know, if someone was to ask me, would you want your eyesight back tomorrow? I would say no. 
you know I am so confident with you know my home my technology is at my fingertips um I don't wish every day or hope for a cure I genuinely don't care if there's a cure tomorrow because I'm happy with who I am today and the more I did wish for a cure and hope that I was something different it made me miserable so often if you do see a disabled person they might not ever wish that they ever want to be anything other than disabled because I don't see disability is a bad thing I see um the ability in disability that's awesome and just to finish off what advice would you give to someone with a disability that may be struggling with their identity right now yeah I, I would say hang in there because I remember being at the other side of that hill and feeling like I could never climb up to the top and feel okay with who I am. You know, being sighted for 17 years, I still haven't been blind for as long as I've been sighted. So it is a journey. There's going to be loss, grief, trauma within your sight loss journey. I ultimately think you know, no matter who you are or what you're going through, even if you don't have a disability or if you do, and we can all relate to each other in that, you know, life isn't simple and we're all different and our differences should be celebrated. And I think it's just about telling yourself every single day, maybe like three points uh, about yourself that you love about yourself. And maybe you don't believe them at the beginning but eventually if you keep telling yourself things enough I think truly then you will start to believe that's what happened for me anyway that's brilliant thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today that is all the questions I have you've been a pleasure and I think your advice is absolutely brilliant so yeah that was great thank you thank you so much Lottie for having me Uh, you're such a fab presenter and thank you so much the youth rising podcast by NCS Our contributing editors, Halim and Paige, got together to discuss Paige's experience with autism and how everyone can be more aware. For someone that might not necessarily know, what does autism mean to you? It's very different for every person, but for me, it's a constant condition that I live with. It's my personality, it's how I think, it's everything about me. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just how I see myself. I feel like a lot of who I am is because of my autism. On a day-to-day basis, whenever I'm having a conversation, I've got to think about everything I say before I say it in case I can come off direct and offensive. For example, if someone asks me how they look and I don't think they look great, I'll tell them that. But that can come off as very obtrusive. So it's quite hard to... To have to monitor myself every single day and to be aware constantly. To be honest, it can be quite isolating. I can be in a group full of people, a room full of people, and I'll feel alone because I feel like everyone else is having these conversations and they're very casual and talking. And I'm having to think, oh, should I say something or not? Should I put in here? Can I say something without sounding one way or another? And I've got to really overthink everything. Are there any things which you avoid as a result of your autism? I feel like a lot of my autism plays along with my social anxiety in a way that the both of them combine and it makes social interactions very, very hard for me because I don't know how to make friends. I don't know how to talk to friends without coming off too much. I get like quite passionate about subjects and that can come off really, really obsessive. But it's not. It's just me being passionate about something. However, someone who hasn't known me for ages will think it's weird, that sort of thing. You sort of just said it a little bit, but what would you want 
people who don't have autism to know about someone who has got autism? Just to be aware that the way we think, the way we do things might be a bit different to you. It doesn't make us abnormal and it doesn't make us weird or scary or anything like that. It just means that we have a slightly different brain process. And I think that's completely natural and I think it should be treated as a natural thing. So I think a lot of it is just being very aware, watching to see what makes that person feel better or what might trigger them. If the person feels comfortable, maybe asking to see what they can do to help. Not thinking as a person only as an autism, if that makes sense. Because everyone's different when it comes to it. And everyone has different responses and different ways to cope. And do you have any inspirations? Is there anyone who's had autism who you look up to? It's hard, that question, to be honest, because there's so many people who I'll look at and I think that's really good. But growing up, I wasn't aware of my autism until quite late in my teen years, at which point I, I hadn't looked up to other people because I didn't know what autism was. It wasn't until I was maybe 15 that I was diagnosed and I knew exactly what was going on, at which point I hadn't really heard of it before. So I didn't have inspirations growing up because I just didn't know what it was. I feel like if I'd known at a younger age, both from my side and my family's side, it would have helped a lot to understand that, for example, when I was little, it was seen as me misbehaving and acting out. Whereas if I'd been diagnosed, would understand it, it wasn't actually that. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Paige. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, I just think to be very aware of it. Thank you for talking with me. Paige also spoke to stand-up comedian and star of BBC's BAFTA-nominated jerk, Tim Renko, on his motives for getting into comedy and what roles he'd like to see on TV for actors with disabilities. Hi Tim, I was curious, what was your motivation to get into comedy and stand-up in particular? My motivation was very surface level. It was the only thing I could do to make money. So, I mean, I can lie if you want to say it was my dream from birth, but it, it wasn't. There was an open mic uh, near my school. I was going to art school and I was not enjoying it because um, I can't take myself seriously enough to be an artist. Like, I just couldn't take it seriously. And then there was a stand-up show, like, in the club next to the dorm. And so I did it one night, and I won, like, 20 bucks. And I was like, ooh, I like this. How did you get to the point where you could laugh at yourself? Obviously, it's hard to take ourselves too seriously. We do it a lot. So how did you get to that point? Firstly, congratulations. That is the first new question I've been asked in like five years. Well done for that. That's a really good question. I guess it's my mom. My mom never took herself that seriously. And we were always encouraged to kind of tease each other gently and I guess that's where it started um but then it's like 
I don't know, it, it just gets exhausting taking yourself seriously. Why, also, this is silly, but it's not like I don't take myself seriously, but I also don't take humanity that seriously. Like, as animals, I don't think we are as good as we think we are. And it just seems hypocritical not to take the rest of people seriously, but to take myself seriously. Okay, so you have your BBC series Jerk, which, by the way, I watched it. I loved it. (laughs) It's really good. It really pushes boundaries. I think that's a great thing. So, obviously, your main character is Tim, who has cerebral palsy. Um, Obviously, he's not a very likeable character. He's a bit of a jerk. (laughs) How similar are you really to him? Well, what I always say is he's me if I had no ambition. Like, if I was turned up to 11, I'd be him. Most of the stuff he's done, like, does to screw with people... I've done, and the stuff I haven't done, I definitely thought about doing. How do you think that the show and showing Case and your disabilities and talking about it, how do you think that can help young people? I mean, there's the obvious answer, which is visibility always helps, especially in the case of disability, where um, I feel most of the... Uh, I don't even want to say prejudice, but most of the um, obstacles I've run into dealing with people have been based purely on ignorance and not malice. So I think in the case of disability specifically, if you take away that ignorance, you, you take away most of the prejudice. My final question is, what was one thing you wish young people knew about living with a disability? Uh, or just people in general? I don't... Because <laughs> young, young people seem to know more than I do. I mean, you, you guys are doing good. Uh, I'm sadly past the point of young person by quite some time now. So I've given up hope which is what young people have. I would say this, because I've been noticing um, there's a lot of concentration on mental pain right now, which is good, but I, I feel physical pain gets belittled, and I just tell people to remember both physical pain and mental pain are kind of equally valid and don't belittle one for the other. No, I I think young people are doing pretty good by themselves. And you don't need an old fart to give his advice to them. You figure it out. Wise words. (laughs) Well, thank you for talking with me. It's, It's been really, really great and I've loved your insight. Thank you so much for having me. We heard from Kira, who is part of the NCS Youth Voice Forum and uses her experiences to help impact other young people and bridge social divides. 
My experience with disability actually comes from growing up as an able-bodied person around disability. My twin sister has complex needs and this has meant that I'm always considering accessibility both in terms of the practical aspects but also the hidden barriers that she faces in daily life. I actually only began sharing my story this year as before now I never felt I had anything to say. It is important to say though that I could only speak as a young person with caring responsibilities and not for those who are disabled but I do feel that sharing stories is so important and I want to ensure that the voices of those who are disabled are amplified and supported by the wider community. I've been working with the NCS Trust and supporting the team with the creation and development of various inclusivity initiatives as every young person should be able to engage in NCS's work and no matter their needs. I personally think the most important thing we can do is listen, not only to the community as a whole, but also directly to disabled individuals. No two people experience disability the same way, and so we have to listen to individuals to support what's important to them or, or needed by them. I think it's also important to keep in mind that in advocating for disability awareness and perhaps even inciting change later down the line, the goal is not equality, but equity. As well as this, practical things you could do to raise awareness in a purposeful way may include thoroughly researching what you're wishing to talk about and talking to individuals instead of making assumptions. You could also consider holding open discussions with your peers to share what you know about disabilities and your own experiences to help break down social barriers. I think finding a local charity that you can work with is also a great first step as it will give you a starting point for your advocacy journey as you learn more about what you're wanting to support whilst also being able to feel like you're having an impact. You can find out more about ways to get involved with NCS and use your experience to make a difference too by checking wearencs.com. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. Nelly spoke to influencer and Makaton vlogger Isabella Evans, aka Isabella Signs. Having had support from the likes of Dr. Alex George and Louis Tomlinson on her TikTok, Celeb Sign of the Week, she told us about the importance of communication. Hi, Isabella. Welcome to the Youth Rising podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So obviously, I know that you've got a lot of social media platforms where you post videos and you teach people how to sign. And I just want to know, when did you learn how to sign? When my little brother Lucas was about four, I want to say, maybe three, I noticed that he wasn't able to communicate properly like all his peers because he had Down syndrome. So I kind of really wanted to make it my mission to be able to communicate with him. So I was looking online and buying different resources to be able to learn Makaton Sign Language so I could communicate with him. And I know that you've got two other siblings? Yes, I do. I have a little sister, Indiana, who is eight. Um, and another brother, Alexander, who has cerebral palsy and he is 12. Do you think that learning how to use sign language and using sign language, you know, every day at home, has that improved your relationship with your siblings? I definitely think it made our relationship a lot stronger because I was able to completely understand what he was saying and what he was trying to, you know, get me to understand. Because before he was just kind of shouting and it wasn't it wasn't fair because I was kind of like trying to figure out what he was saying. But now I can almost always understand what he needs and what he wants. Did you find it hard when you were learning how to use sign language? I did find it quite tricky, but I had my parents who were there also doing little bits with me, so it made it um, a lot more fun. And I found learning sign through song was a really great way of 
oh. doing it. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun when you put it to music. Wait, so is that why you have a lot of videos where you're signing to songs? Yeah, because um, I originally spotted a lovely, lovely man called Wayne Barrow on Facebook and he was signing to songs and I was just absolutely mesmerized and I was like, I really, really want to try that. So the first song I ever signed to was Rockabye by Clean Bandit with my mum's friend's little boy who has Down syndrome and he was copying me um, and my mum just filmed it because it was really really sweet and put it on Facebook and it had like 30,000 views overnight which was insane. So is this how it all started how your social media you know presence and your platforms did it start with this video? Yeah it really did because everyone in the comments was like please can you make this public like can, can we share it and they just wanted to see more so that's when we came up with the idea of like Isabella Signs where I post like daily um, words in Makaton and then doing songs as well so there's something for everybody. So is this why you want to post videos to like teach people? Yeah really because um, I just want to share my knowledge because with Makaton a lot of the time you have to pay for resources and I thought it was kind of unfair that say a family member had to pay to be able to communicate with their child so I just kind of wanted to share my knowledge if, even if it could just help one person that would make it worthwhile. And you mentioned Makaton and a lot of people me included I'm not really sure about the difference between Makaton and British Sign Language. So Makaton comes from British Sign Language but it's more of a simplified version it's mainly used for children with learning difficulties so it's just that tiny bit more simple because sometimes with just even one sign in BSL it could be like three signs put together whereas in Makaton it's just very straightforward. When do children really start to learn Makaton or sign language? Well really you can start from like very very young. Some friends of ours they've started with their little girl very very early and she starts signing now because it's not just for children with um, learning difficulties. You can use it with any child because it helps progress speech as well. Do you think it's easier for younger people to learn how to use sign language than like older people or teenagers or something? kind of depends because I'd like to think I picked it up fairly quickly and I started like when I was I want to say like nine ten wow as long as you you know put the time in and you really dedicate it on I think any age it could be quite easy to pick up I know that you have you know the word of the day or sign of the day I was literally just watching it today and I learned how to do the January one because I'm born in January <laughs> me too <laughs> that's so cool so I think you know if people just start learning sign every day or one sign a week you know that can make a difference yeah well, I want a hundred percent agree I actually had a petition with the Welsh Assembly to get um, basic science such as Makaton taught in all schools in Wales yeah um, and I got all my signatures because I believe even just one sign a week from like nursery all the way to comprehensive school um, a child could nearly be fluent just by learning that one sign a week and it could just make a massive difference to someone like um, my little brother Lucas's life obviously you have gained a huge following from you know over the years and everything that you've done and I know that you've been on a lot of shows and you met Louis Tomlinson yes with all of these new supporters and followers what are you planning to do do you have any goals you know what's next for you I haven't I just really just want to keep raising awareness signing I've never had sort of like this is I'm gonna do all of this and this is gonna be my end goal I just kind of want to just make the world a better place I like to say make the world a better place one sign at a time and just my, like I, I want Lucas to be able to walk down the street and someone be able to like communicate with him properly and him be able to even just like a simple hello how are you I'm good I mean just something ever so simple I would just love for him to be able to walk down the street and just talk to whoever he'd want to
For people who want to start learning how to use sign language, which method of communication should they start with? Um, I think it all depends on the reason why they want to learn. If it's to communicate with a child or someone like that with, a dis- with learning difficulties, I definitely recommend starting off with Makaton. But if you were to go, like, if someone would say, like, I really want to learn BSL, where would I start? I would just instantly go to go straight with the basics on BSL. There's loads of apps and there's courses online that you can take that are very, very simple in the beginning, which is it's basically like Lily Makaton. It's just very very simple so I think it just depends on why you want to learn it and I always would like to point them in the direction of you know maybe a deaf person or something like that because obviously I don't completely know everything when it comes to sign language I'm not as experienced as a hard of hearing person or a deaf person so I like to always kind of point them in that direction thank you so much Isabella and I think what you're doing is amazing thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure to talk to you Each week, we're getting our guests to recommend a book that has helped to educate and inspire them on our episode topic. This week's books are... My book recommendation is Kika and Me by Amit Patel. Amit is a doctor and a fellow blind activist himself. And I really, really feel inspired by his words. Kika and Me is a story about how his guide dog has changed his life. And my guide dog, Molly, and of course, retired guide dog, Olga, have changed my life in unimaginable ways. I didn't feel like I could really even leave the front door without them. So I really relate to Amit's words and I just think, big up the blind community. So my book recommendation is Break the Mould by Sinead Burke because this book is just, it's such a really lovely book and it has so much information about different people, different disabilities, different cultures. It just has something for everybody in this book and I really enjoy reading it with my little brother Luke as we just sit and read it and it's just a lovely, lovely book. And here at the Youth Rising team, we recommend Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say and How to Be an Ally by Emily Ladau. This book is an important and easy guide that will deepen your understanding of disabilities and ableism. In the interests of making this podcast as accessible as possible, a captioned version of every episode is available on YouTube. If you have any further questions or suggestions, please get in touch via at NCS on socials. Tune in again next week as we look at privacy online. Remember to rate, review and follow Youth Rising wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out our socials at NCS on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat and YouTube. I'm Eleanor Ray. Thank you to Nelly, Lottie, Paige, Halim and Kira for their help on this episode. And of course, to our guests, Lucy, Tim and Isabella. This was a Something Else production for NCS, where young people turn no you can't into no we can. Young voices, big issues. Join us as we explore the real power of youth rising. Youth rising. rising. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS.